for the first year of my business, I said yes to everything. I felt like there was no cohesion because of course there wasn't. All I was doing was saying yes to other people's ideas of what I should be doing. It was my goal in my second year of business to wait 24 hours before I said yes to anything. Saying no to something that isn't aligned, it's good for me and it's good for the person that's asking. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, we have Dr. Katie Peplin on. I am so excited, you guys, because she is another person I've been following on Twitter for a while, watching her do her thing where she actually helps people during grad school. Such an important time in our lives that we all remember so fondly, maybe not. <laughs> but um, it was a great conversation. We actually talked a little bit about work-life balance and about how we took some of the, I don't know, if you say terrible practices from grad school, how we've actually taken it into our businesses, basically not giving ourselves rest or taking breaks. So we have a little bit of a conversation about that. And then we do a, like a little bit talking about how to maintain separation between you and your clients. Um, where, uh, and I think this is interesting and will resonate with those of you who have businesses in the academic space, like you serve other academics. And she talks about how, what she said, um, the trauma of grad school, because she coaches grad students, sometimes basically her seeing a therapist is actually helping her separate that, that she's bringing her own ish into um, her coaching calls. So I think that's really valuable. Um, and that conversation around how do we kind of unattach ourselves from our clients, how we learn where that space, I guess, or separation comes from. But then also knowing that when you're coaching someone through something you've experienced, how you have to be careful you don't bring your own stuff into that work. Um, so yeah, we talk a little bit about seeing therapists and about how helpful that is. Um, I've been open about that definitely on this podcast. And yeah, just a lot of, we kind of talk a lot of mindset and like psychological stuff um, from the business and the academic side and about how we navigate that. So it's another amazing episode and I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this. So please enjoy, 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 and let me know how you like it. Uh, we would love for you to leave a review actually um, on the podcast just by going to iTunes, of course, doing it for mobile. It's a, it takes a couple more clicks, but please, please, please do that because we would love to hear from you. All right. Without further ado, we have Dr. Katie Peplin. All right, everybody. Welcome, Dr. Katie Peplin uh, to Academics Mean Business today. Hi, Katie. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. And I know we've been conversing a teeny bit um, on Twitter and we were just mentioning how um, it's taken a little while. I've definitely had her on my radar to have her on, but this is what worked out for us this round. And it's great because there's always perspective when you wait a little bit, yes. uh, you know, in a conversation. <laughs> yes. And now um, I have that new year energy. So I'm in a very right. reflective planning space, which is always I good. I love it. <laughs> I am in that same energy. And um, hopefully we can translate that to the audience um, because I know you've been doing this work a while. And I cannot wait to hear your perspective and get some thoughts about lots of lots of things about being an academic, running a business, um, serving academics. There's a lot of stuff we can dive in today. So I'm yes. really excited. And then just as a, you know, a heads up to the audience listening as well, I'm back for my trip abroad. I was in India and Thailand and I came back to the flu and bronchitis. It's been 
crazy. And so Katie is my first interview back. I'm excited to dive into the new year and all of that. But uh, my voice is a little weak. Um, I'm going to try to catch it. But I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, just like update everyone where I'm at and all of that. Yeah, it's my first interview back. So um, I'm also like trying to get back into the swing of things. So that might come through a little bit in this episode. But I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited that Katie is my first guest. Yes, so excited to be here too. And welcome back. Yay. Well, thank you. So yeah, how were your holidays and what kind of energy you're, it sounds like you're in planning stages and all that exciting energy. So yeah, share with us what's going on right now in your business. And then I typically don't start like that, but I feel like let's dive into that. Like, let's have a conversation about what you've been doing over the holidays. I think it's an important time for an academic as well. Um, it, that energy of like between semesters, between years as well, um, that we're all fond of. So yeah, yes. how did, how were your holidays? Um, so I run a community for graduate students called Thrive PhD, and we just passed our one year anniversary. But that oh my also, gosh, congrats! Yes, I was very excited, but it also meant that for the one year that we were up, so from like the third of January until December twenty second, I hadn't taken more than a two consecutive days off in that mm. entire calendar year. Um, I hear you. <laughs> which um, I didn't even realize until somebody mm-hmm. pointed that out to me. And then I was like, <gasps> because I spend my whole life on Twitter and in my coaching clients and with mm-hmm. all of my friends, you know, um, evangelizing about how important rest is. And then <laughs> I'm just straight not doing it. So um, yep. it was definitely a uh, do as I say and not as I do. Mm. So I took mm-hmm. off almost two full weeks and I amazing traveled to see some family. I slept. I started watching Bob Ross on Netflix. <laughs> I did Stop. all sorts of things. And at first, <laughs> Um, I had that same feeling that I did as a graduate student where like you hit the end of the semester and you just crash Mm, and you're just done for like eight, nine days. You can't have any serious thinking at all. Like all you can do is snacks and sleep. And then once I emerged out of that, it was so exciting to feel my brain kick again. I didn't know (laughs) how tired I was until I stopped. And So the last week has been an amazing experience of having an excitement that I didn't know I was missing back again. So Mm. (laughs) my walls are covered with like vision board things. I have all kinds of new stuff in my calendar. I have a thousand new ideas to try. And I hadn't realized how uncreative I was feeling until I took Mm -hmm. some time to just rest. Yes. I it's so funny. We so mirror each other. Yeah. Like and 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 that's why I love this show because part of me is like, oh yeah, we have this life as academics where we were in this culture of like go, go, go for an entire semester. It has a start, it has an end. And then there's this magic thing that we call break. It's never enough time. But like I don't want to open another book. I don't want to read a journal article. I want to, yeah, binge on Netflix. I, I personally didn't have Netflix in, in my grad school <laughs> days, but didn't exist yet. Um, but that similar feeling. And I did the exact same thing as you, Katie, like built a business where, oh, shoot, there's no semester that like there's no calendar no. <laughs> being controlled. Everyone talks about quarters in business, but that doesn't resonate with me because I just grew up born and bred. It's like academia. And so... Um, And it's funny, I was like given advice actually by a fellow business owner where they're like, well, why don't you just like create semesters in your business? Like you don't have to do quarters. And I was like, oh yeah, like I'm in charge here. But there's kind of something, there's a little bit of a problem with being in charge, right? Because when you're an academic, you're like (laughs) a grad student, for example, or even just like, you know, tenure track professor, like 
you're not really in charge. Like there's a school calendar, there's administrators, like there's a lot of outside decisions being made for you. And we just like fit into that mold, but like business, it's all open. And it's like, we can almost work ourselves to the bone. Yes. Well, and I tend to be an overworker just because Mm -hmm. it's one of the ways that I show love to my ideas, Mm. to my clients is that I, when I'm excited about something, I have a really hard time stopping. Um, And I was like that as a grad student. I was like that as a professor, like as a teacher. And it's Mm -hmm. no surprise, I remain the same person after getting my degree. (laughs) It didn't magically change me. I still have the (laughs) same. Weird, right? (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) I still have the same tendency to overwork, to feel perfectionistic about it. And now I can build a business where I'm the only one that stops me. I'm the only Mm. one that has the power to say you need to take a break. And that was a responsibility that I didn't really realize I had until I hadn't used it. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, so out of context, like no matter what context, whether it's in an institution, whether, right, it doesn't matter what the degree level is, it doesn't matter what the position is, and then it doesn't matter what institution you're in. We can recreate these same mental like an emotional habits. I don't even know if it's habits, but a little bit that, a little bit... um, you know, rules that we've put towards ourselves that um, might not be benefiting us health-wise, right? Right. Very interesting. And I feel like we'll dive into that even further. But I'd love to hear a little bit about Katie as a grad student, like what you studied, you yeah. know, give us that that background. So I did my PhD and actually all of my degrees in film and media studies, which both is an amazing thing to do because you get to watch mm. movies and TV all the time. But it's also a horrifying thing to do because everything that everyone else uses to relax suddenly becomes work for you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I finished my PhD and graduated in the May of 2016. So I'm still a relatively recent grad. But I knew early on that I wasn't going to fit well into the mold of tenure track as I saw it. So I Mm. had been at all one R1 institutions And I just, I knew in my heart, in my second year, that it wasn't my game plan, Uh, Mm. which is sort of a great time to have that realization because it gives you a lot of time to prep um, and make plans and build competencies while you're still getting paid as a grad student. But it's also a terrible time because you're working for a goal that Mm. no one else can see. So Mm. I was working to build my networks, to have skills, to have a resume, and none of that counted towards my dissertation. (laughs) So I spent a a huge portion of my grad degree feeling like a double agent, that I Mm. was using the system um, in a way that it wasn't designed to be used and not being really rewarded by any of the lives that I was living. So my personal life and my family life were suffering because they didn't necessarily understand um, what academic life looked like. My academic life sometimes felt like it got the back burner, even though it was the reason that I was getting paid. My side hustles felt like they never got enough attention because, Mm. of course, they didn't. And as a grad student, I felt in between. And that was the word that I used all the time. I just, I feel like I don't quite fit here. I don't quite fit there. And so it was such a natural transition for me to then make communities where you can fit in. (laughs) So I spend a lot of time with a lot of clients that hold these identities that they feel like don't fit. 
um, either they don't fit in academia or they don't fit into their real life. And it's one of my great privileges to help people zoom out and see the entirety of who they are in an academic context and outside of it. So I have become the kind of lens that I wish that somebody had been for me to say, like, you know, today wasn't a good day academically. Like you did zero work on your dissertation, but you also put in eight hours on your side hustle and you made dinner and you did your laundry and you worked out. So on the overall scale, awesome day, just not a great day in this particular category. I love that. And I love how you took your personal experience and now you're coaching people through that and those identities that, oh my gosh, (laughs) this audience can relate to um, on so many levels. So tell me a little bit about maybe those first moves outside of recognizing, you know, trying to do all the things, trying to be all the things, not really getting fulfilled or feeling like you're making progress. Um, What did you do after you graduated? And like, how did you get, you know, start a business, start a coaching business. Oh, yes. (laughs) So I feel like every business owner has like an origin story, almost like a superhero. And they normally involve some sort of plan that they made that was completely waylaid by outside circumstances. (laughs) I love that analogy. It's perfect. Yes. (laughs) My origin story is that I, in graduate school, spent a lot of time working at the Center for Research and Learning and Teaching at the University of Michigan. And I loved it. I loved putting on workshops. I loved consulting with people on their teaching. I loved doing the research. I loved working in groups. I loved the project schedule. Um, And I held every job that a grad student could hold plus some at that center. And so I knew that as soon as it was time for me to leave, there were teaching centers all over the United States and I could apply. I had a great network. I had amazing resources and I was ready. So I had this plan (laughs) that as soon as I graduated, I was going to go on the market in this teaching and learning center. I had resources. I knew people. I was ready. And I, I'm married and I have a husband and he's a software engineer. Hmm. And during my last semester of our PhD, he had been working for a startup that went bust, which is stressful for any family, but it's especially stressful if the second income is a graduate student stipend. Oh, for sure. So um, he ended up finding a new job, but in a city that was not ours. Mm. So he was commuting several hours, a couple states away every other week. I was trying to finish my dissertation, teach a class full time, Mm. and then work 30 or 40 hours at the teaching center. I was out of my mind with stress. And all of a sudden, we were going to have to stay in one place. So I thought we were going to be mobile. We had planned to be mobile. And then we had a job. And then all of a sudden, we had a mortgage. And we were not launching a nationwide search. So I kind of adjusted my plan and said, you know, there's three or four teaching centers in the city where I'm at in Pittsburgh. I will network the heck out of those. I'll see what I can find. And I did. I got some job interviews and I knew in my heart that none of those places were a good fit. Mm. And that became clear when I did not get the jobs that I interviewed for either. (laughs) And not for reasons that I wasn't prepared, but for reasons that I just, they needed something different. And because my, timing and schedule was such, I couldn't wait another four or five years for a job to roll around that was better fitting for me. So I pouted for a long time. (laughs) I started temping, working in doctor's offices and in data entry positions just to get a little bit of income and have somewhere to go during the day. And 
during those first sort of six, seven, eight months, I just decided that I was going to work at jobs that I knew weren't good fits Mm -hmm. until I could build a job that did fit me. So that's how I kind of landed into coaching. I put a call out on my Facebook page Hmm. (laughs) that said, hey, um, I did a lot of mentorship work during um, during my degree. If you're feeling like you're struggling, getting through your dissertation, contact me, let's set up a free, you know, five, 10 session package, just just so I could see if I liked it. Mm. And I did like it. But what I realized very quickly is that the graduate student coaching market is so different than Mm. an executive coaching market, or even a faculty coaching market, for sure, because grad students just don't have any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not their fault. And it's not something that I want to punish them for at all. Mm-hmm. And so I've stumbled into this business where I have this fundamental challenge, yep. which is providing services to grad students that in a lot of cases, they should already be getting from their yep. advisors or their departments or their universities. And then having to charge them money that they might not have mm-hmm. in order to give them something that they already need. So that is the problem that I can't stop thinking about. And that's the thing that I chew on when I'm working out or wake up Mm. in the middle of the night thinking about. And that's how I knew I found the right position for me because Mm. it's the puzzle that I can't stop playing with. Mm. Um, Oh, I love that. That's a great line too. Like, because what I love about just all the interviews I've done and and especially people who serve yeah, the gaping holes that we have in academia for various reasons. Systematic um, yeah. is a big piece of that, but um, right. <laughs> there's, <laughs> um, and so we've we basically created the problems, but then we're obviously the the best to solve them too on, in so many ways, but we're conditioned by that same institution. So we have our own things that we have to work through in order to get them. But I, I love that idea of the puzzle I can't stop playing with. If I've learned anything as an entrepreneur, it's like we have to... Well, and how it actually mirrors academia as well. Like that's what your research project, quote unquote, should feel like is like the yes. thing that you can't stop tinkering with because it that's the motivating driving force. That's the why behind it. And so solving something like this very, you know, uh, systematic problem with the way grad school happens in this country. And then, you know, your story mirrors it so well too. the academic job sh- search and about how limiting it is for us. Um, And so, you know, it puts us in these scenarios that in many cases can be really damaging emotionally if if you don't get work and like the being able to move um, the two body problem. I mean, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir here, but like, (laughs) we basically create this like environment that doesn't allow us to thrive in, in in these spaces. And I love the choice of words you use too, thrive PhD. That's not how we see PhD programs. It's like um, something you endure and you just, yeah. And so you're really flipping that. And I I think that solving that problem, I mean, that's what makes running your own business so cool, right? Like you get to put that energy, you know, towards fixing something. Yes. And even though (laughs) I I think all of the time about a conversation I had with a therapist during Mm. grad school where I was lamenting that I had all of these goals and I couldn't start them and I was stuck and I had to do this and I had to finish this before I could even think about starting a family or mm. building a garden or whatever. And she said, your life continues, whether you're mm. in graduate school or not. 
And so she said, you have two choices. She said, you can keep it on pause if you want to. But she says, I don't see any joy from the way you're doing it nope. right now. Or she said, or you can try living and being a grad student at the same time. <laughs> and I just remember wanting to like lay down on the floor and just absorb mm. the enormity of that because it was the first time that anyone said, you have permission to live and do this thing too. And I was like, dang. So yeah. <laughs> and I think that it that is so true. You can so easily fall into that as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll I will start this project as soon as I hit this profit goal. Yep. Or I will do this as soon as I unlock this. And none of it is linear. Grad nope. school wasn't a straight path and neither is entrepreneurship. So I am trying my best to remember, and I'm better at it some days than others, that mm-hmm. I'm allowed to live and do this thing too. Mm, so important. Just even thinking of the word therapy and like grad <laughs> school in my head is like, who told you you could do that? Like- yes. No, um, we always joke that um, one of the exercises that I used to motivate myself during my dissertation was I would write copies in different versions of my acknowledgments. Ooh, love <laughs> over that. and over again. And it was so, it was such a good practice because sometimes it allowed me to reconnect with all of the people that were supporting mm. me and getting me through it. And sometimes they were very petty and I deleted them right away. Right. <laughs> Just like, no, thank you to this person and a big, no, thank you to this system. Um, but unacknowledgements all- <laughs> that there should be a section. <laughs> are we asking for a new dissertation page? I think we are. Um- <laughs> Yes. And I, I honestly, a thousand percent mentioned my therapist and my acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. I said, and I didn't put her in my name, but like the order was my husband, my parents, my therapist and the coffee shop that Mm -hmm. housed me. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And then my yoga studio underneath that. But my yoga uh, studio was in mine too, a specific teacher. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yes. So having that exercise Mm. and that therapy, because my therapist, and I have a different one now, I'm in a different city, but what I tell people all the time is that a therapist, their job is to listen to you. Mm. And unlike a friend or a partner or Mm. uh, somebody on the internet, (laughs) an advisor, they, their only job is to listen to you in this moment. Mm. And that is such a gift. and I'm. I've been in therapy, oh gosh, since I was 18, <laughs> so mm-hmm. off and on, but it's it's the one tool that I have found to help me untangle my brain. And so much about business and about grad school is the the fact that it's all in your head. Yep. So if you don't ever have anyone that helps you hold that mess, mm. ooh, it's a lot to sort through by yourself. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah, and but it's your, hard. your loved ones aren't like shouldn't have to do that also like the whole time right they're they're they yeah. do other things for you and there's something specific about a, a therapist holding that tinglement <laughs> intact yes. with not mixing you know with living with somebody or um you know family stuff and all of that i love that distinction yeah yes yep. so big big shout out to therapists mm. everywhere <laughs> here here so i mean i know i've been pretty open about my own journey with that my first time in therapy was last year. 
Um, I'm coming mm-hmm. up on a year, I think in like April, it feels like it's already April for some reason, <laughs> but like <Yeah. laughs> soon it'll be a year that I've been in therapy and yeah, it's completely changed my inner game too. And it's like, and that's exactly, I knew my therapist was a perfect match. I, I was looking for EMDR specifically, which is a certain mm-hmm. type of therapy. Yeah. But her background and her experience in therapy was actually in academia. She actually helps students and practice EMDR at the student level. Um, And I was like, oh, she's going to get me. And like that. And I think so much of therapy is, you know, making sure you're a therapist, um, you know, that you trust them for whatever reason, whatever your, you know, indicators are. Um, And for me, it was just like, oh, this understanding of the academic culture was like important to me in seeking help and being able to offload this, even though I'm not in that space anymore. I know a lot of my comes from it, right? Yeah. So, and like, I, if I want to build a business and like, you know, and that's what I'm working through, it's like, oh, well, I want someone who gets like weird perfectionism and lots of things that you've talked about for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's this extra step of necessity because in a lot of ways, I feel like I haven't left the trauma mm. of grad school because I am constantly holding space for people to work oh, through bet. their own traumas. Yep. <laughs> So it's something that's really important to me to work through because yep. other people I know have left academia or their 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 space from it increases mm. and mine has not. Mm. I have stayed even though I'm not enmeshed in my particular departmental culture like I used to be. I'm enmeshed yep. in all of the toxic patterns Mm. because I'm watching people suffer through them Mm. Mm -hmm. and trying to help them build a toolkit. Mm -hmm. So my, my therapist knows my advisor's name, despite the fact that it's been many years, if only because I have to be careful about this line between what is my personal experience and what's a generalizable Mm. understanding Mm -hmm. because an advisor advisee relationship is always power laden. Sure. But the flavor of that changes in every single iteration of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I have to be clear about what's my stuff Mm. and what's systematic stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love it. Which makes you all, and this is what I love too about like the work that you're doing. It makes you all the more you know, prepared and capable and and all the things to build a business and really help people um, in exactly what you're doing because of all those things. And that's and that idea that uh, the business that we're building is like based on all the experiences that we've had and then specifically helping certain people, you know, whether it's service providing like coaching or whether it's um, a little more teaching with courses. I mean, there's lots of obviously business yeah. models, but like it's uniquely you that you get to build a business that can help people work through the stuff and give support to people that you wish you had. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that so many of the, one of the things that I love about listening to all of the interviews on this podcast is everyone's business does come exactly from the center mm-hmm. of who they are. Mm-hmm. And that can be really tricky because it adds all of this pressure. Like if it doesn't work, then the center of who I am, you know, there's an extra weight to that. But it also helps me. And I know that um, it was such a fear in academia of being scooped, you know, that someone's going to publish this research before me. And I was so disappointed (laughs) that I did not automatically transcend that when I got my degree. Mm. 
And I just translated that into a fear of competitors. Yes. What if somebody launches this before me? Or what if theirs is $10 cheaper? Mm -hmm. And what um, I've really settled into in this sort of, this is the second year of my business. Mm -hmm. Um, This second year, I've really settled into knowing that no one can do what I do because no one is me. Yes. Exactly. And so there are definitely services that look like mine and there are competitors and there are people that look like mine. But if I approach those people as fellow colleagues, then they're not threats anymore. Mm. In the same way that someone who's researching an area next to yours can feel like a threat. Yep. Or they can feel like a colleague and they can be a person that really intimately understands the ins and outs of what you're doing. Mm. And making that switch um, was unnatural and it was hard, but it's been the most valuable thing I've done in the second year because it's really opened me up to a world of collaborating Mm. and thinking through ideas and the sort of intellectual community I was missing after grad school. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love this. And it's so funny yeah. because I'm just coming off of, I have like a pure mastermind and um, I don't know if anyone, well, this podcast we're recording um, early January and, um, but Amy Porterfield is launching a course on how to like create a course business. And I actually have a product that's very similar and I'm watching her and I'm like, oh my God, she's like, doing. and it's so funny because it's bringing up that exact same thing. And if we really center into who we are, it's like Amy Porterfield's audience is never going to be the academic teacher who fell into business, like her origin story, if we can use that language, um, is very different. And so she attracts different people. She's also been doing this a long freaking time, right? So rather than being like, and it's, and of course I've gone up and down, right? So I was sick at the beginning of this year, all the energy for the new year, and you're like ready and recharged to take on the world. And then you're like, oh my gosh, people are beating me to it, right? And so it was, it was the combination of all of that. But then um, today, because I mean, she's been probably promoting and I knew she was launching probably since like November and December. And so finally it's here. And I like go to her sales page and I was like, oh yeah, she's not me and everything's fine. And I have my people. And it's like, and now I'm at this new space of, and it's like, it's one of those things where I think it's when you think about competition and how social media feeds the idea of, oh, their business is so far ahead and I'm a shit show behind the scenes. And it's not true. Like everyone's trying to figure it out. And we can get wrapped up in this space of like, oh, that person has this perfect business and this perfect life and everything. And they're beating me because of X, Y, and Z. But when you zoom out, you're like, oh my gosh, we're all trying to build a business like and and to go with like your niche a little bit around helping people in academia succeed. Do you know how many people need that help? (laughs) And like, there's room for all of us. And so then it's like becomes, and that's why I've loved this podcast myself. Like as the host, it feels like very selfish. Like I feel like I'm just getting to like soak up all this knowledge and I forget that there's people listening. But like, I'm looking at this like, oh, this feeds me to know that there are people that like see the world like me. And so that's a positive, whether they have the same niche or a similar offer if we actually 
could help each other, you know, improve our businesses, improve like the way we make, you know, um, offer like our services, improve how we help people and make more money. Like, whoa, we could all really benefit. And so it's so funny how the things that connect us when we look at it as it can make it feel like competition when in fact, that's a really great point of connection. Yes. And I think that it's so important to realize that as many times as people say it, I never feel like I hear it until Mm -hmm. later that what you see on social media or the image that people are presenting is not the whole story. Right. Says the PhD in media studies. Yes. Says the PhD in media studies. And I still struggle with that. And I, um, I too had sort of like a slowdown at the end of the year and Mm. I wasn't feeling my best. And then I was like, all of these people are beating me mm. and they must be making in X amount of money. And it, it's it been a challenge because I'm pretty transparent about mm-hmm. a lot of things. I was like that as a grad student. I'm like that as a person. It's just sort of my policy. And so if people ask for an informational interview or they want to connect and ask me questions, I show people my network and mm. I'm honest about my my business ideas and how, you know, the, the numbers sometimes. Yep. There's very little that's off the table Mm. if you ask me directly about it. But I found that not everybody's like that. Ah, yes. um, There is a certain amount, and it took me a while to kind of adjust to other people's expectations of Mm. not disclosing, you know, numbers. And there was this real sort of like come to Jesus moment where I could decide, okay, am I going to switch the way I interact with everybody? Mm Mm-hmm because I'm afraid? Or am I going to just keep going and believe that there's enough for everybody Mm. and believe that I want to be the sort of colleague and collaborator that I want other people to be? And so I'm not going to obscure things. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to help when I can and just believe that that's going to serve me much better Mm. than feeling like I constantly have to be on my guard for Mm. not saying too much about this project that's coming up because what if somebody steals it or, you know, I I can't control what other people are going to (laughs) do. So all I can do is live according to my values. And in my world, I'm going to help when I can, Mm. because I think it's going to come back to me. And Mm. even if it didn't, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, and I am so with you on that. And I think we have to constantly check that. Like, where is my ego stepping in and wanting yeah. me to like hoard something or like look a certain way? And it's almost like that constant, um, you know, I'm trying to see because part of me feels like I'm a lot more of a hot mess as an entrepreneur than I was as an academic. And um, I constantly and I had like an interesting story and I've I know I've brought it up on the podcast where I actually had an academic coach. I had a dissertation coach who coached me through my program. And it was amazing. Like I actually loved every moment. And so that's also why I have such an affinity for the work you do, because I know how much it helped me. Um, And it made everything go against what I was reading online. Grad students were experiencing. Even my professor, even my advisor was just like, oh, well, you're a weird case. And she like talks (laughs) about my experience. She's like, I don't even tell students that you had your that experience because it's just not going to help them. And I was just like, there's something wrong with this yes. whole system, right? Yes. If we treat the fact that some graduate students can get through this program and in feel fulfilled, great, happy, yeah. empowered ways as a deviancy. Isn't that great? That- <laughs> it's 
crazy. So, but, but now here's the funny part is now I'm looking back on that time being like, who was that person? <laughs> like, and I yeah. literally am reading habit building books and all this stuff. And I'm like, why? And it's because there's some deep stuff with me being an entrepreneur that I didn't have as an academic. And so it's funny because there's I, my ego comes up in different ways where my goals as an academic, you know, I didn't want to go R1. I love teaching. So I took yeah. the like path of I'm going to work at a community college. Oh my gosh, that's the perfect job for me. And so I was, I was so confident in where I was headed as an academic that the pressures of research was something I wouldn't need to experience. And so mm -hmm. I like made this choice that I was going to live my life as an academic in this way. And it looked this way. And it, it was the way I imagined and it all like happened and it was great. And like, and so I look back at that going, something's off because as an entrepreneur, I feel like I'm not good enough. And I think it's like, part of what I've worked on is it's around money and wealth building that like there's some part of me as an academic and as a teacher and a, a, a service provider as someone who like gave to an institution and to their students that like doesn't translate for me and like private wealth building <laughs> that I've yeah. been working on. Right. But what's funny is now I'm looking back at the academic self and being like, who, how can I find that again? And so my center in entrepreneurship is um, something that it's taken me three years. And I think I'm finally um, more clear than I've ever been. Like the steps seem more clear. I know you had mentioned that too. Like um, they both are muddy in both being a professor, if that's the track you're going or being a researcher or, you know, taking that academic route or in business, like you have to decide what is, what is being one of those identities mean for you? And like, what does living look like in yeah. that identity? And I think that for me, it was this really important realization that I was going to have to do that work, no matter what my yes. job ended up being. Yes. Um, I think it's like so, human, right? Being human, yeah. right? <laughs> well, and, and there's so much about the grad school and the academic experience that tells mm. you this is unique. This is yep. singular. No one is like this. This Ooh, is a special yeah. thing. We live alone. We live a mm. life of the mind. Mm -hmm. We have special rules. And I really internalized a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can be similar for entrepreneurs, yep. right? That there's yep. a vision oh, of yeah. what an entrepreneur so does. And yeah, they're how so they special. Live. Yeah. Yes, we're so they special and we're so visionary. And like, yeah. I remember in the probably first six months of my business, like completely having a full scale meltdown to my husband. I was like, I don't feel visionary. Mm. <laughs> like, he's like, of course you don't. Like it's 8 p.m. on a Tuesday and right. you're exhausted. So like if you're waiting for your like, <laughs> like vision to come, this is not a great time to expect it. And I that's great. But there was this real sense that I had to let go of what I was told this was supposed to feel like. I had to let go of that in grad school. I was told that it was supposed to be hard, that I wasn't supposed to sleep. And like my experience of grad school, I think was similar. Mm. Um, I, I loved grad school, everything except writing my dissertation. I hated mm. writing. But mm. Everything else I lived for. I loved teaching. I loved my job at the teaching center. I loved being on campus. I mm. loved... And I still got everything done and took nights and weekends off. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Which like looking back, I, I too, I'm like, who was this person? Where are her boundaries now? Yeah. <laughs> How do I reverse engineer them back into my life? Yep. But, but I um, felt 
deviant. And I think in some of the same ways that I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate my existence. I loved it. I was working through stuff like everybody was. But sure. In a lot of ways, I was thriving. Yeah. And it was hard to make the switch into being self-employed when mm. not only did I have to decide my schedule and what I was yes. going to do oh and how I was going to structure my time, but I had to decide what thriving looked like. For mm. me. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, when I didn't know that, I just substituted what I thought it looked like based on what I saw. Yep. And it took me a really long time to realize that my goals as an entrepreneur don't have to be everybody else's goals. Yes. Um, yep. And I really struggle with things like pricing because... Yep. I serve a market where one of the foundational things of any offering I do is how do I keep this cost as low as possible and still get paid? Mm. Because I am never going to feel comfortable charging hundreds of dollars an hour to graduate students. Mm. It's just a line that I won't cross. Mm. Um, I know that there are some grad students that can pay it and that I could definitely set up a boutique thing where, you know, I only had 10 clients, but they, you know, paid all my bills. I'm just never going to feel good about that. Mm. And that doesn't mean I'm a bad entrepreneur. It just means that my problems are different. And so I spend so much of my time working through tech in a way that I never expected that I would because I need to find the platform for my community that has the most features and is solid, but isn't a startup that's going to disappear in six months. Yeah, for <laughs> and sure. And I, I need to find ways to host content so that I only record it once, but it can live in six different platforms. Mm. And so I amateurize the cost that way. Um, and I know a lot, a lot of my mental energy is spent on making things as affordable as possible when there's a whole stream of business advice coming in my other ear that's like charge what you're worth and never undersell yourself and Mm -hmm. if you don't value your time then nobody else will and all of that is true it's just going to look different Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. so it's it's hard when you have this realization that you've been substituting somebody else's values for yours and you didn't even know it yes because then you have to lay on the floor and say, what are my values? And that's mm-hmm. a much harder question than which one of these gurus am I going to follow to the mm-hmm. letter? Mm-hmm. Oh, I resonate with so much of that because part of um, also what I I experienced in this exact conversation too, there's a lot of noise. And for some reason, I'm giving away I think I talked about this in Gladys Addo's episode. Um, we both had this like realization um, that in entrepreneurship, there's a lot more giving your power away. It looks different. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of power yeah. dynamics we could talk about in academia where you're externalizing your value, like air quote value. And, but in entrepreneurship, I, I feel way less capable that I think that whatever was my brain, the growth mindset in academia while I still had my own imposter syndrome and stuff, I also knew my lane. Like I, I kind of mentioned, yeah. like I knew what my goal was and what I needed to do to get there. So I didn't have to worry about some of the things that other colleagues had to worry about because they had different goals. But there's something about entrepreneurship where it's like, I'm giving my power away to these other people who probably know this more than I do. And I don't know what I'm doing. And there's always this coming back to who am I trusting and where is my focus and oh my gosh, should I do this? Or should I do a funnel? Or should I do a webinar? Or should I do? And it's like, 
exactly what you're saying. The values seem dispersed and I'm questioning my own because, oh my gosh, will I be successful if I do, don't do it this way? And it's, and that's where, and I don't know if you feel similar, um, in that in academia, like it was almost like I, we, hmm, even in entrepreneurship, I guess I feel it, but like, we're obviously playing a game, if you will. And in like academia, I think I got it a little bit like quicker or I, I saw the game. But then in entrepreneurship, the game, I'm just like, wait, what's even happening? Like, who's in yeah. charge here? It's like Wild West. Like, I don't know. And um, and there's a lot less trust in myself. And that that's what I've experienced over the last three years is handing over my power to other people. And that looks like me buying things that I really actually didn't need or, you know, um, like trying strategies that were totally taking me away from what I really wanted to be doing. And I think in academia, the, the like bumper lanes are there. Like, yes, you can fall off the track a little bit. And like, yes, you can be burned out and all the things that many people experience, but there's still this like clear path. Um, and entrepreneurship, it just isn't there. And it's like, oh, I need to be even more like my values need like versus I, I wonder if in academia too the values are almost kind of handed to you a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit what it is. Yes. I think mm. there's definitely so much truth in what you're saying. And I know that when I was in academia, I was not from an academic family. Nobody mm, in my family had been yeah. to grad school. And so mm-hmm. I didn't know the rules. Mm-hmm. It was unclear to me. I remember so distinctly coming home from my first day of orientation of my PhD program and Googling tenure because yeah. I didn't know exactly how it worked or how you got it. I knew it was a thing that one achieved. I didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden people were saying on my first day of grad school, you need to think about this for your eventual tenure file. And Mm. I was like, what's a tenure file? (laughs) I'm going to have to look at this. And so I was such, it was so important to me to understand this game I was playing. The game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not just blindly accept that my advisor had the best advice or Mm -hmm. that my department Mm -hmm. was telling me the truth. And I actually saved myself a ton of heartache because I questioned everything. So if somebody told me something that didn't make sense, then I went to the department admin and Mm. said, you know, what's the thing? Or I went to the dean of students and said, I don't understand this. Um, And it meant that I understood those systems so much better because I was willing to dig to understand what was underneath the rules. And I think that's been a lot of my process as a business owner And in that first year, there were a bunch of colleagues that I had that I saw and I was sort of intimate with their process. And I saw them giving their power away like nothing else. Mm. And it was, and I think there was all of this fear and it came up a lot, funnily enough, with websites. Oh, how funny. That I kept seeing people paying inordinate amounts of money to set up websites that I, my, my husband's a software engineer, so I have a leg uh, up yes. that I can say. Um, and I myself am like a pretty tech savvy person. And so there's a certain amount of like bullshit detecting that I can do. <laughs> that like if somebody's like, oh, hey, I'll pay, you know, pay me $5,000 and I'll make you this site. And I know you can make it on Squarespace for $100. I'm not going to fall for that. But I kept seeing all of these places where somebody would say, oh, you know, I'll get that on my website. I just have to talk to my webmaster and mm. it'll take them two weeks to get it up. And I was like, yeah, but you just log in and find the text field and then you change it and then it's up. So one of the 
cardinal rules for my business is that I don't have any service that I depend on somebody else to get it back up and running. Ooh, so nice. I run my own website. So if somebody needs to change it, I can change it. And eventually I hope to be in a spot where I'm willing to let go a little bit of that control because I've made a lot of responsibilities fall exactly on my shoulders because I won't let anyone help me. But in the beginning, it's been so empowering because I know how it works. And so I know how to track my own stats. I know how to see how many people are clicking this or buying this. And I know what those numbers mean. So I don't have to wait for someone to say, this is a good number, or this is what your funnel should do. Because not only do I know how to follow the steps of somebody's directions of how to set up a funnel, I know what a funnel's supposed to do and how to put those parts in myself. Yep. So it's been, and honestly, it keeps me energized. It's some of Mm. that learning that I was missing when I was temping. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, I never in a thousand years thought that I would be studying the intricacies of internet marketing, but (laughs) it's it's fascinating and it's not unlike what I was studying in terms of digital media in my degree. It's all interconnected, but knowing that my ability to learn and understand systems was not academic or discipline specific Mm. was so important. That mm-hmm. skill was not only in that arena. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I didn't stop understanding how to learn when I stopped being an academic. Yep. And then that's serving you and building this business. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Would you, what other skills do you think like translate for you? Oh, I teach all the time. Mm, yep. Yep. <laughs> my um and teaching was so fundamental to my academic identity that yep. it's no surprise to me at all that it's fundamental to my business identity. Mm. Um but I think that for business it can feel so much different. Like when I yep. teach a student something in my discipline, then I'm giving them knowledge that empowers them, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to have them have that knowledge. Yep. But if you're a business person and you're teaching someone say how your business works or how this aspect of your marketing or how you think about it, or you're even teaching a client. I know so many people that are like, oh, but if you teach your dissertation clients how to do X, Y, or Z, they won't need you as a coach anymore, (laughs) which is a hundred percent true, but that has to be the happy outcome, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Um, Unlike people who coach executives or Mm. coach people that are in sort of a long-term relationship I want every single one of my clients to no longer need me at a certain point because I want them to graduate. Yep. And so I have to want them to be empowered to do some of these things by themselves. Yes. Uh, Because I have to believe that just because I've finished with one client doesn't mean that other clients aren't waiting for me. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have them leave my nest (laughs) Mm -hmm. because then I can have new fledglings. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because it's bringing you back to like the beginning of our conversation where I was like, you know, the the flow of students is something that you don't have to think about, right? So you're unattached yeah. to the outcomes of the, even the students in your class. Like you want them to get A's or you want them to grow as a person. Maybe it's not a specific letter grade, but you want them to grow as a person, right? That's fundamentally what we're mm-hmm. doing in our disciplines and like what in higher ed in general, right? And that was what I 
anchored to as a professor myself was like, it's not really about what their grade is, or it's not about this random fact. It's like, they're ac- I'm actually teaching them how to become better human beings. So once I was attached to that outcome, you know, the school's paying me, the students just come and I just like get better at my job. And like, and I, and that's where it took away the pressure, I guess. Yeah. And so like, it's funny because yeah, in, in entrepreneurship, if you're coaching or teaching and you have students or you're mentoring, or, I mean, there's lots of different, I know we've talked about the different kind of, I don't know, consulting, whatever yeah. <laughs> positions we can take in our business you know, we're kind of responsible for finding the next person. And that's tough. It's scary. And then here comes internet marketing and like putting ourselves out there and like owning what we do and like, you know, pricing ourselves, like all these things that feel so opposite of anything we ever did in the academy. Right. And I have this added wrinkle sometimes where my clients do not want anyone to know that they are working with me. Yes. So um, one of the hardest things about Thrive is that I love Thrive and I think it's an amazing network, but Mm -hmm. it's so important to me that it's private and confidential. Mm -hmm. I have to sell people on the idea of something that I literally cannot show them. Yep. Yep. I just have to say, trust me, it's great in here. You would love it. (laughs) Yeah. And here's how Um, I protect protect your anonymity. And like, here's how this won't. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's been this total switch because for some graduate students, coaching for other people, like coaching for normals, you know, if you're coaching like a CEO, you want them to advance to the next level. But for some of my clients, the goal isn't even to get them to graduate. I had two or three clients this semester make the empowered choice to leave their programs. Yep, that's huge. And and that's it's a huge step for them. And yep. it, but it was also this feeling of like, oh, is that a fail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this um or if I teach this webinar and no one uses the skill, was that because the business wasn't good or because this wasn't, and when I'm, when you're working with a population of people that are under an incredible amount of stress, yeah, the results of what I do for them look so different. Mm. And just in the way that with teaching, you can teach a student and it might be three or four years later yep. that it suddenly bubbles up. Yep. It's a, a little bit of what I do is that I, I empower people to access all of this information and new ways of thinking. And then I kind of cross my fingers that it works. Mm, I hear you. But unlike my students where there's a contractual sort of understanding that I teach and they learn, and then I measure that to evaluate (laughs) them with my coaching clients, I teach and then it's sort of up to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can listen to what I say. You can disagree with it. We can talk about it. You can drop off the face of the planet <laughs> for the yep. next six months. Um, but it's one of the reasons that I've had to think really carefully about how my clients pay me mm. because mm-hmm. um, I know other people that do free sessions or they give away things or they bill after sessions. And I don't feel comfortable with that. So for as flexible as I am about pricing and how I do, I have people pay in advance. Yeah. You, yep. You pay, you pay up front with me because my clients have mental health problems that make it hard for them to open their emails. Sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> they mm-hmm. have um, depression issues that make avoidance a huge part of their coping strategies. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of reasons why an invoice after the fact could so easily be ignored. 
Yeah. Um, but that was this big boundary for me. And I had to feel comfortable with that, that like, I am valuable enough that they can pay me before Mm. I give them a thing. Eek. (laughs) Like, right. (laughs) Like I have to do the superwoman pose before I post that because Mm -hmm. it does go against some of my own conditioning about what I'm worth and what I'm valuable. But I, I had to get over that. That was a me issue. That wasn't Mm. a business issue. And it's, and it's, um, I mean, I even think about like just boundaries as love as well, yes. right? Like <laughs> it is, it is loving because it doesn't serve you or the person to like have this outstanding invoice. Cause now, you know, it's not good for either, no. either person in the scenario. And it's not that you're not taking care of them by not giving them that option. In fact, it's more caring, you know, that you are setting up these boundaries, but I hear you on that because we decide this. And I think that's, yeah the interesting part about running a business is like, I have to keep reminding myself, like I'm in charge, like, Oh shoot. What does that mean? (laughs) Like I get to decide. And it's like, Oh, what decisions am I avoiding? Like, why am I avoiding them? And I constantly, that's like a constant mantra. There's, I am like, I am in charge or like, you know, um, what do I want? Right. And then the other mantra is typically like, no one knows what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think both of them have helped me. Yes. I have um, a sign above my desk that says the sacred yes and the sacred no. Ooh. Because for the first year of my business, I said yes to everything. Um, No matter what it was, no matter if it paid me, I said yes to everything. And I felt like there was no cohesion because of course there wasn't. All I was doing was saying yes to other people's ideas of what I should be doing. And so um, it's been, it was my goal in my second year of business to wait 24 hours before I said Mm. yes to anything. Yes. um, I mean, no, I mean, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And to believe that the no, just like a boundary is a type of love, saying no to something that isn't aligned doesn't, it's good for me and it's good for the person that's asking. Yep. Yep. Because otherwise I'm showing up trying to fit myself into their box or they're trying to expand what they think to fit me. And so I had to start believing that the yes and the no were two sides of the same coin and they were both empowered. Mm. Yes. And that's so true, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I love that. And it's like, I think especially in entrepreneurship too, like around every corner is a potential opportunity. And, and I think the more money you start making, the like the changes you start making in your business, like it's so easy to just be like, oh, I'll do that and I'll do that. And and by doing that, it'll give me this. And it's like zoom out back to the values, like what do I want? Like constant like alignment. You've used that word a, a few mm-hmm. times today. And that's so important. And if we're not even thinking about yeah, like, what are we doing this for? Like, what is my vision? Um, It's so easy to just get um, sidetracked or, and then feel like, oh my gosh, I've done all these things and like nothing has gotten, you know, quote unquote done or the burnout piece that we've kind of reflected on a little bit too can easily rear its head. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think saying no is, is, has been for me at least one of the harder things I've had to do in my business than it is to like take on things. I'll take on everything, you know, but to take on other people's stuff or other things they want to do, it's like, wait, what do I want to do? Keep coming back to, to me and like my goals. Right. And I think that for academics in particular, if you're given an external set of goals to hit, Mm. right. 
that, you know, it's this many publications to tenure, or it's this level of evaluations, or it's this number of papers to grade this week, that it can feel really selfish Mm. to make your own system and then stick to it in the same way Mm. that there was that guilt that if you didn't work nights and weekends as an academic, then something was suffering, right? (laughs) You weren't as good of a teacher, your research was falling behind, whatever it was. Any time that you weren't working meant that something was suffering. And it's so easy as an entrepreneur to borrow that thinking Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just say, well, you know, I could take tonight off and go work out or I could read this book, right? Or I could take this informational interview or I could say yes to this thing. And it's so easy to fill your schedule up saying yes to things that don't fit you so that you never have to decide what's important. in the same way and like so many graduate students that I work with will take on extra classes they'll take on Mm. extra abilities and faculty do this too right you say yes to the service commitment you say yes to that committee not because you necessarily want to or need to but because on some level you're flattered that somebody asked you Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) or it makes Mm -hmm. you feel valued or it makes you feel important or you believe in that idea and at some point, there comes to be a thing where you look at your Google calendar for the week and nothing that you want to do is on it. Mm. And either you take that as a wake up call and say, I'm allowed to control my own schedule or you keep avoiding whatever it is that you're overworking to avoid. Mm. I love it. And it's so funny because in like when I was a professor, I remember when that started happening, right? Like, um, especially because so I like I never got tenure. I left a year and a half, I think, before tenure. But I remember being like, oh, yeah, like, it's so funny. Like, oh, I'm a new professor. I'm responsible for serving on a bajillion committees. And then you looked at the older folks who've been there 20 years and they're laughing because it's like they've earned their spot where they're at now where they can say no because they get to because they're old. And like, it's this whole funny, like cyclical, weird obviously like abusive, (laughs) gendered, like racialized, like all of it, right? Like is like coming down and it, and it comes into like, who's, you're not allowed to um, have three online classes. We're going to write in the rules that it's only two because you need to come to campus. Like all these rules that make no sense. And then I remember being like, I don't like this game. And then like, I accidentally started a business and I was like, oh, this is better. And then exactly the same thing yeah. is happening where you're like, oh, like, wait, what are my business goals? It's not tenure anymore. And I don't have like, so what is it? And and I think it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just so scary, no mm. matter what you're doing to figure out what's important, especially if you're not in a place that gives you those answers. Mm-hmm. And like I'll I'll sort of speak that my life looks nothing like what I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. When I was daydreaming as a grad student, right? Or mm-hmm. even as an undergrad, there mm-hmm. is no part. I'm living in a city I never expected. I don't have the family configuration that I thought I would. <laughs> Certain yeah. things have been way harder. Certain things have been way easier. This is not at all what I was, but I know it's okay because I did the extremely hard work in some of those dark, scary places mm. of figuring out what makes it okay for me. Mm. Mm. 
And that's where like circling back, like a therapist is useful and remembering that that's the hard work of being a human. And Mm. yes, graduate school can amplify some of those problems. And yes, academia can make it really easy to fall into toxic behaviors. And yes, entrepreneurship can definitely reward you in negative ways for all sorts (laughs) of maladaptive coping mechanisms. But humans have to figure out what's important. And Mm. in that way, for me, it's so grounding to remember that, yes, I'm a business owner and yes, I'm an academic and yes, I'm an intellectual, but I'm Mm. a human first. Mm -hmm. Those things are all identities and titles that I hold or that I have or that I build, but you can take them away and I'm still going to have this core. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's that core that lets me know that even if this course fails or even if this business was gone tomorrow, Mm. or even if my marriage ended, you know, like heaven forbid any of these horrible things happened, I have a confidence that I didn't always used to have that I'll figure out the next step because I've already navigated the loss of every other plan that Mm. I've made. Mm. And so I no longer trust in those plans. I make them because they help me figure out what to do but I no longer feel that they're the only way I'm going to be okay. Definitely. I'd love to hear where you're headed. Like, you know, we've been talking for a long time and like, I've loved this conversation. Um, I I think it's a great time of year to be talking about the things we're talking about. And I also just like appreciate your transparency and honesty with like the stuff that is hard in like doing the work that we're doing and and what it's like to serve clients and all that stuff. So thank you um, yeah. for sharing all of that. So yeah, where where is your vision? Where like, I'm headed? What, what oh, are gosh. you doing this for, Katie? <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll be really transparent. Is as is my way, and say that um, my husband and I had certain family goals. Mm. Um, we one of the main reasons that I pursued a non academic path was that we wanted to build a family and I wanted Mm. to have kids and long, long story, extremely short. It's not as easy as they said it was going to be in health class, at least not for us. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So um, I have been really working through the idea of how do I plan my business, my life, my goals, Mm. what I want, when the goals that I'm working for, they're just not under my control. Mm. And realizing that my business goals were never fully in my control either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my act, I've never had the control I felt like I did, but I've really had in the last couple of months, especially an intense awareness mm. of the fact that my plans aren't contracts. They're not promises. They're just rough sketches. And what's most important for me is to focus on how I want to feel and how Mm. I want to serve and show up for people Mm. and not so much on, I want to run this retreat (laughs) because I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have the luxury right now of saying I'm going to be available in September. I might be, but I might not be. So I, this summer, um, and this fall into this winter have really focused on how can I build passive products? Mm-hmm. And it was selfish because I didn't know and I hoped that I might be needing to take some time off. And now I'm just realizing that what I was doing for completely selfish reasons is useful for my clients too, because yep. they, as much as I like to assume that my academic clients live on a semester basis, they don't always. And right. sometimes they need that webinar in the middle of the night. Yep. <laughs> sometimes they need 
coaching that's completely passive. So I don't know what it will look like next year, but I'm hoping to solve the riddle of how do I expand my business without Mm. needing to physically manage it or have that time be dependent on me in a one-to-one relationship. Hell yeah, girl, we have the same goals this year. (laughs) Let me tell you. I mean, and I, you know, it's so funny that you're talking about this because I also had weird issues around, um, because, you know, I think it has something to do. I've always taught online, you know, as a professor, but there's something about like, they're not taking classes without me. Like I'm there. Right. (laughs) And so like, wait, what does passive mean? And what's this like, you know, and I've been playing with that. Yeah. I, I, I would say for the last year and I started to realize that, oh yeah, back to that conversation of like the gurus teaching you certain things, the methods all work right? Like building a business, you can build a high ticket. Like you mentioned, like, you know, do I want to be charging 20,000 a year for a grad student? That makes literally no sense. Right. So like, there's all these things that we make decisions on when it comes to business, where it's like, it actually will all work. I actually believe that a lot of the stuff people are teaching works, but does it back to alignment? Does it align with like how I want to show up every day. And so I'm starting to be like, okay, this idea of passive is not as passive as people are pretending. So like, that's the first part of it. And that I'm actually still a part of it. And that actually all my work heading into creating this thing is still energy that comes from me. Like, it's not like I'm doing like the intention. I think the intention is key. And you said that, um, where you said, sometimes people need something in the middle of the night, like right. Katie on the phone at, you know, whatever hour, like how much would someone have to pay for that to be what you did? And it would be a lot of money. Okay, oh, wait, yeah. my <laughs> audience doesn't have a lot of money. So I think for you, serving grad students might be a volume thing. How can you help more people that then that takes care of your family and like what you want to create in the world, um, right. but fits their price range? And like, there are business models that is that like, Anyways, so I I love where you're heading. And like, I think it's um, a conversation that I think as an academic, as a teacher, as someone who shows up and serves like real live human beings, there are ways to do that. And so I'm just like, (laughs) and as I'm like sitting here saying all of this, it's like, I'm telling myself this, by the way, (laughs) like I'm totally telling you because I'm telling myself this as well. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think that so many of us that were academics, we translate that feeling comfortable with selling things into, mm-hmm. I feel most comfortable selling services, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's I give, been, I serve. Yeah. Um, it's been a real thing where I've had to sit with, okay, if I sell a product, mm-hmm. does that make me part of the capitalistic machine that like I Girl. spent years? <laughs> like, like, just, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times in my mastermind group, people have had to look at me and say, Be- because capitalism, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, because, because, yeah, because totally. And I had to get through this sort of feeling where, like, my academics have a distrust of popularity and volume in a lot of ways, right? Like, if you're a Mm -hmm. superstar, then that's great, but it also means that you're not rigorous. Or, you know, if you're being booked all over the country, that's great, but you're not showing up on campus where we need you. Yes, yes. There's all sorts of reasons why we've, I feel like I was, marinating in this culture of it's okay to do what you do, but do it one-on-one or do Mm. it in a niche or do it in your small corner or do it Mm. where your results are tangible. And 
Mm-hmm. If people are downloading PDFs for me in the middle of the night, is that cheap? You know, like, or is that not? And I just, I have to say that's a self thing. That's not yep. a business thing. Put your PDF up in your store, girl. Because <laughs> Yeah. You know what? I just had this like yeah. flash in my head and I, um, I was just thinking about um, like the, you know, quote unquote, popular academic. Um, yeah. And there it's it's so funny. Like, yeah, there's something about academia. We, we do niches really well, right? <laughs> like yeah. we, we, we do like specialization really well. Um, and then we get to this. There's something about being an academic, at least that I've been fighting and that I'm hearing in what you just said that made me reflect was like, we have this fear of being big, like bigger yeah. than the institution, bigger than um, the one semester of students that we can serve. And so we and then we judge like the popular academic a little bit. But maybe that's wrong, too, because I look at the rise of like Brene Brown. I look at yeah. the there were obviously people in each respective field that were like famous academics. But there, there's something I think about the intersection of that and social media that like, oh, wait, that's actually a positive thing that, um, well, it's positive and it shows our own, um, the bad side of it too, right? Like we look at Amy Cuddy, right? Yeah. And like her research getting like scrutinized at such a level where like you even said power stance and it's like, oh, well, the research wasn't entirely like, because that's what we do, right? We criticize yeah. and we yeah. find <laughs> the holes and that's fine. And like, did it help people? Does it help people create a ritual around feeling good and intentional going into a meeting or a call? It does. Like, so there's all these like nuances, I guess, that like, it's almost like popularity and like academic research in the public space, right? Like in this new age, I guess, of of media, and you could probably talk about this forever, like highlights, um, I think two things. One, how important it is that people that think like us actually (laughs) like are actually in like have their foot in this conversation. And then I think also like because we ask good questions. I think it's good to ask the question, you know, is what I'm doing in my business oppressive in some way because I'm in charge of hiring practices and like what, you know, how I show up and all these things. And so I think that's a great lens to have. But at the same time, it might be putting like we might be talking ourselves out of stuff, which academics do really well. So then it's like, am I preventing myself from being big? Back to what I was kind of thinking, like, what does being big look like as an academic? Like, what does being famous or like having my research out more publicly or maybe not even research, but like I'm just, you know, helping people in a certain way big, you know, no one. It's like, look down upon in academia. I don't right. know. There was a lot there. <laughs> no, I totally, yes. I mean, that could be a whole separate hour that we could it do. totally could. <laughs> sort of could, like unpacking we could that. Go there. I yeah. think for me, it comes down to, and this has been such a useful refrain um, mm. from a therapist, again, that once said to me, if you're feeling jealous or uncomfortable about what someone else is doing, it's never, ever about them. Nope. Yep. And I have learned so much in my business, not necessarily from reading all the guru stuff. Of course, I did that. But from my gut reactions to what Mm. other people told me. Yep. And so I've learned so much about what I believe and how I want to show up in my business 
from feeling 100% turned off by what other people told me to do. Other people are saying, yes. And that doesn't mean that their advice isn't valid or that it might have worked for me if I wanted to try it. Like we said, yeah, yeah. it can work. Yeah. (laughs) But what's important is what am I learning about myself? And Mm. what, what am I learning about how I can untangle this tricky soup that we all live in around Mm -hmm. what we've absorbed, what we think, what we believe, what we were conditioned. And then saying like, yes, all of that is true, but I'm not limited by it, right? I can do it differently. Mm -hmm. And that I can do it differently requires, I think, like the spark in fear and discomfort tolerance that the Mm. entrepreneurs I most look up to have that Mm. say, I'm willing to do this anyway. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that I really want to cultivate in myself even more than I'm already doing is just to say, yes, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to try it anyway. Mm. Yes, this is scary. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because if I never have any anyways, then I'm just going to stay in the small corner that I feel like I'm entitled to. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I love this. This has been such a fun yeah. interview. I'm like, yeah, I could talk too. to you all I'm... day and I, I yeah. have so much to work through. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Uh, Every time. Therapy for everyone. Therapy for everyone. There's some big takeaways. Therapy for everyone. Alignment. What else is our big takeaway? There's a lot. But yeah, thank you so much for coming by. Um, I'd love for you to share. um, So yeah, so you're working on passive things, which means Katie has stuff to sell and she has ways to help you. So um, where are you hanging out online so people can get to know you? And like, what are you currently working on? Yes. In all media... Scholars know this. I'm in a constant battle <laughs> about like how much social media is okay. Oh gosh, um, yes. But you can find me on Twitter at Katie Peplin Coach is the main account I'm tweeting from these days. Um, I'm trying to build my Instagram at Thrive mm, PhD, yes. and you can find me at katiepeplin.com and at thrive-phd.com. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open and accessible in all of those places. Um, you can work with me one-on-one, but I'm always happy to connect in whatever way feels comfortable for people first. Totally. And, and definitely collaboration too. Like, I feel like that was another part of this conversation. Um, as, and I'm feeling that from you, I'm like, yes, like, how can we help each other? Like, um, (laughs) so definitely reach out. Um, Katie is amazing. She's obviously super knowledgeable about building a business, building a one-on-one thing. Like I'm let's, you know, she's transparent and open. So, um, let's, yeah, let's like keep the conversation going. Um, thank you, Katie. It's been You're a pleasure welcome. to have you. Yes, and you too. I'll have to have you back on. I think we yeah. have some other things to think about and talk yeah. about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, everybody. And again, thanks for listening. And Katie, thanks for coming by. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon. Bye.